Well, good morning. Good morning. Well, I was watching a movie yesterday. It was called The Story of Newt Rockney. You ever heard of Newt Rockney? Old Notre Dame coach. And it was talking about his um, kind of, I, I wanted to see it, I wanted to watch this movie because there's this one scene I really wanted to see. It's the, the speech that Newt gives in the locker room where he says, hit him high, hit him low. I, I didn't get to see that. I'd missed that part. Um, but I, I was able to watch a part I didn't know anything about. And this was, I thought, was very important. It, it kind of spoke to me as we've been thinking about, you know, kind of working our way through these epiphanies, these aha moments that we find in the scriptures. And in this, in this movie, um, Newt Rockney has the four horsemen, those, that backfield from the 1920s or 30s. And these are, um, they are, are, are amazing. They, are, they, they work as a unit. They, it's, you know, two, a left halfback, a right halfback, a fullback, and a quarterback. Those are the four horsemen. One thing I, I, I did read about them is that, you know, the, the largest one was 162 pounds. That's the largest one. One was six feet. The other ones were shorter than that, and none of them weighed over 162 pounds. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you could be the water boy now and be 162 pounds. Um, it, it's just, it was a different time. But what I, when I watched this movie, there was this scene. They had won this big game, and, and Newt, the coach of Notre Dame, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat you. I'm going to treat the team. I want you to come with me. We're going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a kind of a vacation. And so after the, after the season, after the big win... They went to this show, and it was uh, the Rockettes were performing. And so there's this football team watching the Rockettes. And Newt Rockney is watching these Rockettes, and they're doing their, their routines, and he's kind of watching the, 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 the symmetry and the synchronicity and the rhythm and the timing and, and all of this kind of forming this poetry in motion. And he's sitting there watching this, and it occurs, and this was this aha moment for this football coach. As the Rockettes were kicking their legs up, he started taking notes on a piece of omelet that he had in his pocket. And he was drawing out this backfield. And when he got back to, to, to the school, he started working with his backfield, with his team. And he said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna introduce something new. Hasn't been done before. But this is going to change how we play the game. This is going to make us a better team. People aren't going to know what to do with this. Well, the backfield was like, well, well let's, let's do it. And he goes, well, I'm calling it the shift. And they moved from a T formation in the backfield to a box before the snap. They move in rhythm, in, 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 in a synchronous movement. And it's poetry in motion. When they get it, they're struggling. I mean, he's working with them. He's counting it off. And they've got their hands going. They're trying to do the dance motion to get into this shift. And it's just not working. He brings in musicians to play music for them to get into the, to the rhythm of this shift. Well, eventually they get it. And they put this in play. And they show up and they go this shift in their, in their first game. The defense has no idea what's happening. They move from a tee to a box, and all of a sudden everything is different, and, the, and, the, and they just march the, the ball down the field. They do this again and again and again, game after game after game. And the defenses were just clueless on how to stop it. It just changed the options. It changed, it changed these players in the game forever. Newt Rockney had an aha moment 
when he was watching these rockets about poetry and motion, this idea of, of symmetry and synchronicity, and, and it just unfolded for him a new movement in football. Now, I read about this. I was so curious. Like, is this like a real thing or not? And so I went and looked it up, and it was Newt Rockne came up with the box formation, and it was formed through a shift from the, from the, from the tee to a box. And, 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 they, and people struggled until they finally began to get it. And teams began to adapt. The, the, the college football, the organization before there was an NCAA, they didn't know what to do with it. And eventually they said, you can't do that anymore. We don't understand it. We're not really sure how this works, but you just can't do it. Does that sound, sound familiar? We don't understand this, so let's just cancel it. Well, that's what, that's what they did. But it didn't stop. The professional football teams took note and they began to adapt the box and the shift. As recently as, the, as in the 2000s, up like 2009, there were high schools running the shift. They would revisit this incredible aha moment of Newt Rockney. Now I want us to kind of, kind of hang on to that for a second because we have these aha moments in our life and, and the Bible gives us these aha moments throughout, and throughout God's salvation story that we call the Bible, there are these aha moments. We call them epiphanies, revelations of God, that God is present with us. God is doing something different, something new. Samuel found that out as a young man. He was living with Eli in the sanctuary. He slept by the ark. And when he heard his name called Samuel, Samuel, he, he didn't know this was God. He didn't know God. Had no relationship with God. He had a relationship with Eli. And so he gets up and he goes to Eli. And Eli says, go back to bed. I didn't call you. It's too late. Go back to bed. Again and again, this happens. Samuel, Samuel, he gets up. Eli, go back to bed. And then Eli perceives that God, the Lord, is calling Samuel. And he says, Samuel, go back to bed. And when, the, and when you hear your name again, it's the Lord calling you. Take note. Pay attention. Perceive that this is the Lord. Samuel, Samuel, here I am, Lord. And the Lord tells him, I'm going to do a new thing. Samuel, I'm going to do a new thing in Israel. And everyone who hears of it, both of their ears will tingle with this good news. Imagine. Imagine the aha moment of, of hearing that there's something coming in the future, something so new that our ears will literally tingle with a sensation of good news, of a divine word, a divine hope, a divine future. And so what is Samuel to do with this? Samuel becomes the last of the judges, the first of the prophets. He will anoint kings. He will bring the prophetic word of God to God's people. That's what he did with the perception of that aha moment of the epiphany of the Lord calling him Samuel, Samuel. There are aha moments in our scriptures. We have one in front of us today. 
It's taken from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It begins in verse 43. But before we get to that, I want us to kind of set the stage on what's happening. The Gospel of John is different from the other three Gospels. The, the, The synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are far different from John. Or I should say John is far different from them. He has a different message. He has a different take. He wants some people to understand something special, an aha about Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. His understanding of what he wants people to walk away with is that Jesus Christ is this cosmic Messiah, this cosmic Savior who, who pre-existed creation. We get that from the prologue. In the first 14 verses of the Gospel of John, we have this beautiful prologue that describes the Word of God made flesh. The essence of God has come to live among us. To be a light in this world. To be a light among us that the darkness will never put it out. And then the gospel moves into the ministry of John the Baptist. And he's bringing the good news. But he is not the good news. And then we have the the baptism of Jesus Christ. And we... We celebrated that last week. We remembered our own baptism as we remembered that Jesus Christ was baptized and Hill was Hill Garstecki was baptized right here and we celebrated God's gift of prevenient grace that goes before Hill, that goes before all of us to draw God to Himself, to draw us to God's self. We get that in the story of Samuel. And before Samuel even knew of God, Before Samuel even had a relationship with God, God came to him and called him. This happens again and again in the scriptures. That God goes before us, understands us, knows us. We even had this powerful uh, psalm that we read together. I invite us to turn back to that first page. Look at that responsive psalter. The first two lines that we just read. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. And we close that Psalter reading with such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. God goes before us, calls us, draws us to himself. A powerful image of God's grace. God does this again in the the Gospel of John. Right before this passage, we have Jesus calling the the first two of the disciples and Andrew and Simon, who Jesus calls Peter, because it is upon Simon who will be the rock. And upon the rock, Christ will build his church. So after being baptized probably in the Jordan River, along the, in, in, the, in the land of Judea. And then we pick up with verse 43 of chapter 1. The Gospel writer writes, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. 
Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And may God bless the reading of the word. This is a powerful text if we take it all together. We have the call of Philip. This is the third of the disciples that Jesus called. And and we find this idea of prevenient grace still uh, weaving its way through the gospel as Jesus comes to Philip. And he calls Philip and says to Philip, follow me. He gives Philip the opportunity, the invitation to respond to God's call to follow Christ. His cosmic Savior. So what does Philip do? He, he wants to follow, but he wants, he wants Nathaniel to follow. And he goes back to his town, Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida was a, was a small city, barely classified as what we would call a city. In, in fact, today we don't even sure, the scholars don't know really where it is. They, they believe it's on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, close to where the Jordan River flows into the sea. And, 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 but they're not sure. But Bethsaida, which, is, which means the house of the fishermen, was a little bigger than the village of Nazareth. And so when we read that Nathaniel's comment, his reply is that can anything good come out of Nazareth can certainly be received as some snarky remark by this Nate. Can anything good? come out of Nazareth, that small backwater place. Maybe, maybe it was a snarky remark, or or maybe Nathaniel knew enough about the scriptures to understand that Nazareth had never been mentioned in the scriptures before, and why would anything good, anything of God, come from Nazareth that is unmentioned? There's no name of it in the scriptures the prophets don't mention Nazareth. The law doesn't mention Lazarus, Nazareth. The, the writings don't mention Nazareth. It's just not there. And so maybe Nathaniel's looking at it and, and understanding his own perception of, of what God is going to do and what, where God is going to come from, where God will be present, is, is that this is going to come from a place that God has come from before. It's from, from Jerusalem. Some mountain, not some backwater village. This is an aha moment unfolding. And and Philip, hearing that comment, says, well, just come and see. 
which echoes Jesus' comment to the first disciples. When they ask Jesus, where are you staying? He says, come and see. Come and see, Nathaniel. And, as we're, and we're told that as Nathaniel walks up to Jesus, he arrives where Jesus is, is staying. Jesus sees him and says, Surely here is an Israelite where there is no deceit, in whom there is no deceit in your heart. Nathaniel completely caught off guard. What do you, how do you know anything about me? We've never met. There's no social media. You don't know anything about me. I am a fresh new face to you, and you're a fresh new face to me. How can you know me? Again, the gospel writer wants us to understand this is the cosmic Christ. This is the one who knows us, knows our innermost thoughts, knows us before we know him. This is another instance of provenient grace as this aha moment continues to unfold. How do you know me? And Jesus says to him, well, I saw you sitting under the fig tree before Philip even called you. Well, this is, this is something. How do we take this mess? How do we take this information it could literally mean that Jesus saw him sitting under a fig tree. It's, it's a literal place. Just some fig tree somewhere, Jesus may have seen him. It's possible. It's also possible that this, this idea of seeing, seeing Nathaniel under the fig tree is symbolic. That when you read the Old Testament, when you read in the prophets like Micah, sitting under a, the fig tree, in the shade of the fig tree, is well, it tells us something about the person who's sitting, leaning against the, the fig tree, resting in the shade of the fig tree, that this person is at peace. This person is enjoying the prosperity of God. It could also mean that when we, the Old Testament talks about when, when the fig tree is stripped, this is a judgment of God. So the fig tree is important. There's no deceit in this Israelite. This is a righteous man. So certainly that little snarky comment wasn't so snarky. It's just that he didn't understand where God would come from, where the Messiah would come from. And could it possibly, could the Messiah possibly come from a place that has yet to be mentioned in all of the scriptures, in all of the promises? This aha moment continues to unfold. Maybe Jesus understood and saw the innermost being of Nathaniel. That when he was under that fig tree, Jesus, the Lord, the cosmic Savior, understood what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree, sitting in the shade of the fig tree, sitting with his back resting on that trunk. What was he doing? Perhaps he was in prayer 
Perhaps he was praying, confessing his sins, his wrongs, his desires, his wrong notions, his selfishness, opening himself up to God's forgiveness that he might be forgiven and also forgive. Where in the world would that come from? Maybe Jesus understood and is is reminding Nathaniel of Psalm 32. If we read Psalm 32 beginning in verse 1, the psalmist tells us, Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Maybe Nathaniel was found under the shade of a fig tree, under the peace of the fig tree, because he had been honest and sincere enough to pray of confession, to let God know, to tell God that he knows, that Nathaniel knows he has transgressed against others and God. And God is good enough, just enough, gracious enough to forgive Nathaniel, and to forgive us all. The aha moment has unfolded. And Nathaniel responds, you are the king of Israel. You are the Lord, the Messiah. And we know from the rest of the story, Nathaniel will be with Christ for his journey. He will proclaim the good news as it's revealed to him. As Jesus tells him, do you believe because of what I have told you? Very truly, I tell you, you will see greater things than these. You will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Maybe the message for us as the church and for maybe all of the world Is that for us to perceive and to to, to have those aha moments and be able to work with those aha moments, we need to be sincere enough and honest enough, vulnerable enough to confess our transgressions and sins before God. Humble enough to receive God's forgiveness and to forgive others. When we are that person and those people, we will be more open to perceive those aha moments, those epiphanies where God reveals Christ in our midst, calls us to follow Him. And when we come and see, our ears will tingle with the good news of the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.